Lent every year, these 40 days leading to Easter, draws us back into the desert wilderness with Jesus. Into the wilderness is where the Spirit drove Jesus after his baptism as beloved. So we return there with him, letting the wilderness of our current lives form us, as it did for Jesus, as beloved, and transform us, as it did for Jesus, into who we are and what we are to do. Yet this Lent, we have to ask ourselves, haven't we had a whole year of wilderness already? And yes, yes, we have, which is why this Lent 2021 at Salt House, we let the wilderness of this year be with us by drawing us closer together so we can witness to each other's pain and grief we carry. And so our Lenten journey is called, I Need a Witness. We all need a witness to be close enough to hear our pain. We will follow the lead of the Black Church in America, how historically the Black Church places such importance on the function of witness or testimony. Stories shared from the pulpit and also from the sofa or kitchen table. As someone shares their story of pain, there's the audible response of testify and can I get a witness? Here, this sharing and witnessing performs two functions. First, it affirms their pain, trials, or suffering as real and not imagined. Second, it affirms God's presence and grace as real and not imagined. And the sharing then, the presence of pain and the presence of God, both are witnessed. To aid you in this journey, you can print off your own Lenten bingo card, offering daily opportunities to ask, how am I showing up with others today? Which closes the distance between us and creates space to witness. It is this daily practice that will form us this Lent. And each Sunday will draw us closer to the cross and empty tomb as we explore first how we witness to our own pain and then to witnessing to the pain of others. And finally, that pain suffered by Christ for the world. We'll see how the pain is real and not imagined and that God's grace and presence is real and not imagined too. So take a deep breath and let's witness in the wilderness together. Friends, in our Lenten wilderness together where we are naming and experiencing what it means to witness, we are already over halfway through. We're already to the fourth Sunday of Lent. And I would acknowledge that you have already done incredible work these past two Sundays, first with Pastor Ryan and then last week with Professor Kata Schwain. You courageously wrote about your suffering. You witnessed to your own suffering and if you missed either of the past two Sundays, please go back on Facebook or YouTube to the video, or you can go to the podcast to be led into that writing, or to keep going with that if you've already started it, and, and to really let these tools sink in for us, that these are things that we can continue to use because this work of witnessing to our own suffering is never over, right? Right. I also hope you had a chance to take your writing and do what Kata commissioned us to do, which was to share that suffering, that writing with someone that we trust. Letting our suffering then be seen by another. So if you haven't had a chance, that's okay, but please make a note to do that. Because, and this is what we're transitioning into today, no matter how hard and vulnerable it feels to be seen in our suffering, 
We need to be witnessed. We need our suffering to be witnessed. David Kessler, the grief specialist known for his work with Elizabeth Kubler-Ross on the stages of grief, he speaks to how grief must be witnessed. It's the only way through it to share it with others. And really, it's more universal than just grief in that all of our suffering must be witnessed. It's the only way through it. How we suffer is so unique and intimate to each of us, but what we all share is the need for our suffering to be seen. That doesn't mean needing someone to try to lessen it or reframe it for us. The need is for someone to be fully present to the magnitude of our pain without trying to point out the silver lining. We need it. And knowing that we need it, guess what that means? That means that we also know that everyone else around us needs their suffering to be witnessed too. And that's where we head today. We're gonna have a conversation about being people who witness to the pain of others, what the Jesus story says about it, why we do it, and what it looks like. And before we even start the conversation, let's name up front how this is hard to do witnessing our own and witnessing others' suffering. Because the tacit message in our culture, and yes, in our churches, is this. It's that success is public. Suffering is private. And the Christian church in modern times too often equates faith with being happy, healthy, and successful, which doesn't leave room for public suffering, which is not the gospel of Jesus, right? At my former church, too many times for me to count, folks from my church who were going through like a devastating time, they would say, oh, I can't come to church right now. I just like cry the whole time. There was this discomfort, even a fear, of being seen in their pain. Oh, friends, I'm so sorry for any way in which this has been you, whether here at Salt House or at a previous faith community. That's not how it should be. As God's people were invited to feel and experience all the things and let it be seen, to very much not be happy, healthy, and successful all the time. As God's people then were invited to be present with others as they feel all the things and let them be seen too and not be happy, healthy, and successful all the time. So it sounds really obvious, but it isn't in practice and we really struggle to create safe spaces to do it. Because, again, the cultural air we breathe keeps affirming how success is public and suffering is private. And so today is just one small piece of how we continue to push back against that and reclaim the way of Jesus, which we follow as the way that witnesses to suffering. Can you feel it? Are you with me? Okay, then let's do it. So first, let's turn to scripture, to the story of God that points us toward how this is true. I was drawn to find examples of how the gospels demonstrate Jesus witnessing to the pain of others. And so what I found and what we'll do, we're gonna just flip through a few pages of Luke's gospel, finding three moments where Jesus is present in the suffering of others. So see what you notice as we just rip through these readings, okay? So first we have Luke 4, 40 and 41a. When the sun went down, everyone who had anyone sick with some ailment or other brought them to Jesus. One by one, he placed his hands on them and healed them. Demons left in droves. Okay, 
That's one. Second, just a few verses later in Luke 5, 12 and 13. One day in one of the villages, there was a man covered with leprosy. When he saw Jesus, he fell down before him in prayer and said, if you want to, you can cleanse me. Jesus put out his hand, touched him and said, I want to be clean. Then and there, his skin was smooth. The leprosy was gone. And third, a few verses after that, Luke 5, 29 through 32, Levi gave a large dinner at his home for Jesus. Everybody was there, tax men and other disreputable characters as guests at the dinner. The Pharisees and their religion scholars came to see his disciples uh, greatly offended. What is he doing eating and drinking with misfits and sinners? Jesus heard about it and spoke up. Who needs a doctor, the healthy or the sick? I'm here inviting outsiders, not insiders. An invitation to a changed life, changed inside and out. All right, so three just places where we see Jesus present in the suffering of others. So that's Jesus healing physical pain in the first two, right? Pain and ailments and casting out demons. And another where Jesus is present to the social pain of those who are outside, uh, disreputable characters as he welcomes them in. So when it comes to suffering, we see here how Jesus shows up there in their pain. And what happens there? We see how the movement of God is always to heal, to enfold pain and suffering into the healing and restorative story of God. And we know this, like we're really accustomed to Jesus as one who heals, and we know this is what God does when God comes to earth as one of us. And of course, in the Gospels, it isn't Jesus alone who does this work. So in Luke's Gospel, five chapters later, in Luke 10, it says how later Jesus selected 70 and sent them ahead of him in pairs to every town and place where he intended to go. He gave them this charge. When you enter a town and are received, eat what they set before you. Heal anyone who is sick and tell them, God's kingdom is right on your doorstep. So Jesus teaches his disciples to do what he does and sends them out into places of suffering in folks' lives and in folks' bodies. This is true for the disciples then and disciples now, right? This is us. This is for us. We're invited into the places of pain in others. But we have to be careful in how we read Jesus' accounts of healing. Here's what I mean by that. So reading the dozens of times in which Jesus heals, I, I'll confess how I often heard it as like, go and fix all the broken things. All the broken people, fix them. When I think more accurately, it's go to the places of pain and brokenness. Go there, be there. Yes, maybe for healing, but just be there and see what happens. And we see this even more as we step back to consider the bigger picture of the New Testament. And we can hold alongside these healings of Jesus with other pictures of the Jesus life lived together in community. Places like in the book of Acts and Paul's letters and other letters of the New Testament. So in these writings, we're listening into written conversations between leaders of the Jesus movement and the people who were in these forming communities. And we get to see how they spoke of that life together. So here's one example of Paul in one of his letters describing that life uh, in Romans 12. 
So this is a really densely packed description. So let this kind of series of short phrases just wash over you as this picture of life together, uh, following Jesus, as that all comes together, okay? So Paul writes this, Romans 12, 9 through 11. Love from the center of who you are. Don't fake it. Run for dear life from evil. Hold on for dear life to good. Be good friends who love deeply. Practice playing second fiddle. Don't burn out. Keep yourselves fueled and aflame. Be alert servants of the master, cheerfully expectant. Don't quit in hard times. Pray all the harder. Help needy Christians. Be inventive in hospitality. Bless your enemies. No cursing under your breath. Laugh with your happy friends when they're happy. Share tears when they're down. Get along with each other. Don't be stuck up. Make friends with nobodies. Don't be the great somebody. Don't hit back. Discover beauty in everyone. If you've got it in you, get along with everybody. Don't insist on getting, ev- on getting even. That's not for you to do. I'll do the judging, says God. I'll take care of it. Our scriptures tell us that if you see your enemy hungry, go buy that person lunch, or if they're thirsty, get them a drink. Your generosity will surprise them with goodness. Don't let evil get the best of you. Get the best of evil by doing good. Romans 12. Isn't this a beautiful picture of life together? It's in the message version, so I just love this version uh, because it's so colloquial in language. Uh, practice playing second fiddle, don't be the great somebody. Also just that very first line, love from the center of who you are. Did you hear that one? Love from the center of who you are. So friends, always as we study the Jesus story, we're soaking in how God's people are a people shaped by love. Living as beloved people who at the center of who we are, we're being formed in love and that beloved center is where we try to live from. And Paul casts a picture of what this love looks like in this text, like lived out, love as a verb, right? When someone is being shaped on the inside by love. And did you catch it? How folded into this picture of life together is the assumption that laughter will be shared, yes, and so will tears. Sheer tears when they're down, Paul says. Fix it? Nope. Give good advice? Nope. Heal it? Not necessarily, though God might. Other translations say grieve with those who grieve. In other words, be with. Be a witness. Being present with pain is what forms us in love. We like thinking that community forms around strengths. But in Christ, the wonder of wholeness is welded through shared weakness. We can never be whole or wholly known without seeing and sharing both our strength and our weakness. And in community, letting our weakness show, this is what Paul describes in Romans 12. How, like Jesus and his disciples, whom he sent, we go to where there is suffering, and there we are shaped by love. We are shaped by a love that welcomes suffering. That's why we need a witness. 
That's how true communion and connection happens, not through strength. In our weakness and suffering, we experience the glory of communion with each other and with Christ, enfolded in a love that welcomes suffering. David Kessler's assertion that grief must be witnessed, it affirms what we find in the Jesus story. It's also echoed in neuroscience and psychology how we are biologically designed to accompany others in their pain. We possess mirror neurons, which you probably know, where you know my eyes and brain will take in how your face has fallen in grief, and so my face will fall too to express and feel what you feel. We're wired to witness in these bodies. But that can get hidden under our fear of being present in another's pain. So I wanna get a little bit into the practicalities of what witnessing can look like because I know that I'm not alone with my like default setting that sees pain and I either wanna like run in the other direction or I wanna like dive in and help and like fix it, right? But this whole Lenten series, we're naming how the space we hold is not to fix it, but to make space to witness to how the pain is real and the presence of God is real too. So even though I'm trained as a pastor, as a psychology major, I will tell you the best schooling I've had when I, the best schooling that I've had when it comes to how to witness, honestly, it's what I've learned from those who have been with me in my pain. Through experiencing their loving presence, like when the bottom of my world has dropped out, I can look back now at what others did in my presence of, of my, in their presence of my pain, And though there were good intentioned folks who weren't able to be present in that way sometimes, there are those who were with me and in them, I see them and I say, oh, okay, yes, that's that's what it looks like to hold space and to listen and to not fix it and to, to see God in it, to witness. And I wonder if this might be true for you. I wonder who have been the witnesses to your pain. And I'm not talking about every person who was there with you, but the ones who really saw you and heard you, who didn't try to fix it, who may have been a a passing acquaintance or, or your best friend. They probably caused you to cry in the face of such simple presence in their love that welcomed your suffering. What do you remember about their example with you? These folks are the ones who likely gave you space to share what you've experienced and for you to give voice to your frustrations and fears and hurts. They may have been curious and actively, tenderly asked you about it or just left the space for you to share. Whether you were facing a difficult marriage or depression or the loss of someone or debilitating illness, This kind of witness creates the conditions where the one who's listening is able to encourage us that we are not alone, reassuring us that others see and affirm our difficulties and frustrations too. When you're at the point in a tough time of wondering whether you're crazy, whether you're just imagining that things are hard, these are the few who can help us by listening to our stories and affirming us. And they did that for us by saying things like, wow, that really is hard. Or I can't believe you're having to face that. Or you're right, what you're talking about is so heartbreaking and I have no solutions. 
This is what it looks like to witness. Who have you heard that from? Experience that kind of witness with. This is what it looks like to witness and name the pain as real. The last two and a half years of my life, it's been two and a half years since I sustained a concussion and a month later was diagnosed with post-concussion syndrome, which means the symptoms of concussion will continue for a long time. The last two and a half years has been wilderness school for me. So much suffering and so much learning and too many witnesses to name and thank who have held my pain with me who have seen me and taken the time to understand where I am in this shifting journey. But one one moment of witness I'll name is an example that's stuck with me. It was with my brother-in-law, Aaron, and we were all gathered at the Bendixson family Christmas gathering in 2018, so it was three months after my injury when things were still really intense. And Aaron had drawn my name for like the adults, like the family gift exchange, right? So he had so thoughtfully curated a collection of gifts that would just lavishly pamper and care for me. It was so thoughtful. Yet what really got me was after we'd all opened gifts, um, he and I were in the kitchen and everyone was grabbing dessert and drinks. And he said to me, I want you to know that I see you. And I see that this is so hard, and I'm so sorry that it's, that it's happening and you're going through it. Like, that was it. <laughs> and he cried, and I cried, and it was so simple and so sincere, and I felt so seen through the emotion and love behind those simple words. And I said, God, yeah, it's so hard, it's so hard. And I didn't need him or anyone else to fix it. I I longed to be seen in my pain, and he saw me. My friends, witnessing is really that simple. And it happens with the everyday stuff that we run into. Just in these past weeks, I was on on the phone with a friend who was sharing about struggles with her team at work. And on top of just the challenging work that they do, there were some issues of racism that they're trying to work through. Um, on, on the team and in their organization. And so it feels so impossible to just like do the work that they need to do. And I'm listening to her and I'm feeling how hard this feels. And I just thought to myself, oh, you know what? I'm, I'm going to try to witness to her pain right now. And I'll be honest, I kind of want to see if it works, right? And I said, you know what? I just want to say this is so hard to like go to work each day and not have a team with like the same trust and capability that you used to have. Gosh, that is, that is so hard. And she stopped and said, thank you. It is so nice to hear that. It is so hard. It worked. It works. And even though I was kind of testing it out consciously, it was sincere and I was in it. And it was a moment when I could tell her that her pain is real. She's not crazy. Witnessing, loving from the center of who we are, sharing tears when they're down, as Paul says, going to the places of pain and brokenness where Jesus sends us, being there, not fixing it, seeing what happens. Who has shown you this kind of witness? How can you learn from their example? The other piece of this is what we hear in Jesus' instructions for his disciples earlier in the Luke 10 text. Jesus sends them to be there and to tell them 
uh, and to tell them God's kingdom is right on your doorstep. To name how they see God there. Oh, this is so hard, but I see God in this mess. Like, God is here despite despair and pain. Who has done this for you as well? How have others given you the space for courage, your courage, to speak of the mysterious ways you saw God show up on your doorstep, bringing comfort, presence, and hope in the hardships? Are there ways in which they were able to see and name God's presence? Often these are witnesses, they will help us um, to see this by saying things like, yeah, that really does sound like God met you in that moment. Or, wow, it's amazing to see how God has provided for you, even with all of the ongoing challenges. This is then what we say too. For me, there have been so many God-affirming moments like this, especially in how folks have just been like the grace of God for me when I've needed to stop doing something or not do something because of my brain and I was feeling guilty or ashamed of it. There was such grace expressed. This happened even just in this past week. I felt, I felt pretty awful this past week. The concussion left me with what neurologists call migraine brain, which... Uh, certain triggers will cause the symptoms to reoccur and stir up all the grief, anxiety, and the inability to function that the original concussion did. I've actually been fairly symptomatic since mid-January, which has been so hard and just very lenty for me in this Lent. But this past week was really rough, and I had to postpone the Lectio Divina gathering, and I didn't attend church council meeting And my Lectio ladies were just awesome, affirming my decision for self-care. And uh, one of the gals said, you know, I'm holding space for you and your tender brains in my heart. Praying this evening and tomorrow are full of golden restful nuggets where you can release the need to get things done while the Spirit's peace and restoration move through you and your family. God is somehow at work making all things new. Holy mischief. Ah, what was she saying? God's kingdom is right on your doorstep, right? All my Lectio ladies, just thank you for the balm of your witnessing to my suffering this week. Like, you get a gold star. You were amazing. But really, though, friends, this is, it's just scratching the surface, but do you feel it and see it, what it looks like to be shaped by a love that welcomes suffering? This love forms us to love from the center of who we are and naming that presence of God that is with us even in the hard times. So friends, here's your homework for this next week, okay? Three things. First, today, if possible, whoever has come to mind for you as a good listener, as someone who witnessed your pain as real and the presence of God as real, whoever's come to mind, tell them. Tell them and thank them today, if possible. Second, this week, Pay attention to when you encounter someone's pain. Little uh, pro tip, it is all the time right now, right? It is, and notice it then, look for it in the little moments, like on the phone and in passing. So pay attention. Also, sometimes it's hardest to see the pain in the person we're under the same roof with. So listen, especially there without assumption. So the second thing, pay attention 
to when you encounter pain. Third and finally, when you do encounter it, be there, listen, mirror back what you hear and affirm that, oh yes, this is hard, as you affirm that God is there too. Make make space for them to name the light that is getting through the cracks. And remember that you don't have to fix it. So simply those three things. Thank your witnesses that you've had in the past. Pay attention to the pain that you encounter this week. Have your radar up and be there when you find it as a way to practice being a witness that says, yes, this is hard and yes, God is here. This is just one small way we continue to become that love that welcomes suffering by practicing it and providing safe places where others can be seen in their suffering. For when we do that, beautiful things happen. Things like a group of kids coming up with an idea to have an absurd auction, to paint rocks and sell them for ridiculous amounts of money to fund the education coordinator at the new Bethlehem place that will serve kids doing online school while experiencing homelessness. What? Yeah. And it's all going to end today at noon. Oh, this was our Salt House kids' dream and idea because when we're close enough to witness the pain of others, we are the ones who will be changed too. God's kingdom is right on our doorstep. I know it's hard and it's scary, but let's stay near and witness suffering together. Amen? Amen.